We all have uh, jobs and roles in our lives. Um, As scriptures say, there is one body, but many gifts, many different parts of the body make up the whole. And one, uh, we cannot do without one or the other. It all works together for God's good and God's plan. So it's a a little uh, troubling when you read these scriptures that we've had today and you see people who are otherwise faithful followers of God attempting to put out God's light, probably unwittingly or without malice in their hearts, but nevertheless seeking to stop people from doing God's deeds of power and love on this earth. In the first instance, it is in the time of Moses, in the Exodus, when they are wandering in the wilderness. And the people complain greatly because even though they were slaves in Egypt, they had a much better, more comfortable life. They say that themselves. They asked Moses, did you bring us out here to kill us? We were better off in, is in uh, Egypt when we had uh, homes and we had a steady source of food and water. But out in the wilderness, they wander hungry, thirsty, with just tents to sleep in. But of course, we know the Lord provides. We know the story of Moses striking the rock with his staff and the water gushing forth. And also the story of the manna coming down from heaven, this heavenly bread which we uh, Christians, of course, in which we Christians see a foreshadowing of the Holy Eucharist. But it's also a substance for them to eat that will give them strength to live. But as is the case today, I'm sure, if you ate the same meal every single day, day in, day out, how often have you found something that you really like? It's just something new, it's just delicious, and you... You just go back for more and more and more, and eventually you sort of wear it out because you've eaten too much of it, and then it's just not quite as good as it used to be. Well, I think that's the case with the manna here. They, they were, of course, thrilled to have something to eat at the beginning, but, and of course, we don't know what manna was exactly, but, but the thoughts of fresh fish and cucumbers and leeks and, you know, this the list of those foods sort of Got my stomach rumbling while I was up there listening to it. These delicious, fresh foods. You think about going to the farmer's market and seeing those wonderful things they have uh, laid out on display. And not having that option, just eating this sort of plain bread every single day. I'd get tired of it too. So they complain to Moses, and uh, God hears their complaint, and he says, Moses is just exhausted. And he says, Lord, I can't do it all. I can't carry all of these people. I need some help. Otherwise, just kill me now. It was very dramatic. But what the Lord does is he tells Moses to bring together 70 elders. And the 70 elders get some of the spirit that rests on Moses. And they begin to prophesy, but then only that one time. But not just the 70. The interesting thing is that somehow or other, some of this spirit uh, leaked out and went to camp and got onto Eldad and Medad, who were not part of the assembly in the tent of meeting, and they began to prophesy in town, which 
raised an alarm because they were not, the, it wasn't their job to prophesy. They weren't appointed to prophesy. And so someone comes and runs to Moses and sort of tattles on them and says, Moses, Moses, stop them from, from prophesying. But instead of doing that, his words are, would that all of God's children could prophesy like these. And again, in the story from Mark, John, the beloved, rushes up to Jesus in, this, in a very similar way and says, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. Tell him to stop. He's not one of us. But Jesus says, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. And then in the reading of James, we have uh, a wonderful pastoral uh, sort of litany, if you will, of, of grace. Now, this, this particular passage from James is included in our right for, for visiting the sick. I have a little green book that contains a, a portion of the prayer book. And the portion uh, is, of course, the ministration to the sick. And it has uh, various different readings to be used for different occasions of, of visiting sick people. And this, of course, is one of them. Are any of you suffering? You should pray. Are you cheerful? Sing a song of praise. Are you sick? Then call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them. And the point of this, I think, is to show that we all have it within us to pray and to talk to God and to be with one another in our joys and in our trials, in our health and in our sickness. The James says, the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. So you see, it's not just uh, someone of the stature of Moses or one of Jesus' 12 disciples. But James calls us out as followers of Jesus and as brothers and sisters and as heirs to that royal priesthood and encourages us to use those gifts of the Spirit that we all receive in our baptism, when we are all grafted into the body of Christ, the church. For you see, when Jesus gave himself on the cross once and for all, he opened his arms of salvation and welcome and adoption to all people for all time. Now, I grew up in the Pentecostal tradition. This was you know, in the late 70s and early 80s, there was that great charismatic wave that spread across the country. Um, we had been Baptists, and um, I found a, a service bulletin from the day of my dedication. Now, Baptists don't baptize babies, but there is a service of dedication. So there is something for new parents. And my mother saved the one from mine, my service, and I found it one day and opened it up and was really surprised to see the order of the liturgy, and it was a communion Sunday. We didn't have communion every single Sunday, but it really pretty much followed exactly what we do here in the Episcopal Church. There was an Old Testament reading, a psalm, a New Testament, a gospel, a sermon, and the communion followed. So it was, it was uh, very structured. Well, that changed when we went to the uh, Assemblies of God Church. And uh, it was mostly a lot of fiery preaching. Occasionally we had communion. Um, 
but they were oftentimes what we had called altar calls. Now, we didn't have an altar the way we have an altar here in this church, but uh, there was sort of a, a raised platform with a railing, and the elders of the church, the deacons, again, not deacons the way we think of deacons, but uh, essentially respected men of the church, all men, uh, would come up, and they had little vials of olive oil, and they would anoint the sick, and sometimes people would be what we called slain in the spirit, in which they would essentially pass out on the floor. Um, some people would start speaking in tongues. Some people would, st- would claim um, immediate healing or curing of diseases. And so I think because of the, witnessing this and incorporating it all into my, my personal history and psyche and what have you, that for the longest time I confused healing with curing. And so healing is a process that we go through our entire lives. You can talk about physical healing. You can talk about spiritual healing. And what I'm sort of driving at is a healing that is a healing that leads us to heaven. A healing of the soul that, that gets it, you know, as we go through life, gets it in line with God's will and God's uh, plan for us. Because uh, down, if you go down in the chapel, you'll see on the altar some altar cards, and they contain uh, a number of things, but one of, them that, one of the things they have are certain priestly prayers that I say to myself as I'm celebrating the Holy Eucharist. And one of those prayers, in, in one of those prayers, I pray for God to uh, refresh my soul and to give me health uh, uh, give me healing unto life eternal. So that's what I'm talking about, that healing unto life eternal. So what do we do with this? Yes, we have priests, we have deacons, we have nuns and monks, we have uh, academic priests, we have ministers, rabbis, you name it. But all of us are part of that royal priesthood. All of us are called to reach out in prayer, and with the power that God has given us as sons and daughters to walk with people, to join them in that journey to healing unto life eternal. So you see, when we visit a friend who's, who's sick or suffering in some way, we might not be able to remove that physical or emotional pain from them But what we can do is walk with them in this journey of healing unto life eternal. As Jesus says, we will all be salted with fire. And I think what he means by that is that this is part of life. In life, we are going to come across these stumbling blocks from time to time. But we are the salt of the earth as he says in another place in scripture. And so that salt is a useful tool and it brings the the flavor. Just think of the the flavor of salt hitting your tongue. It's and that it sort of wakes you up a little bit. And that's sort of a a symbol of this power of God that when we reach out to, to one another in with a healing touch, you have sort of that that moment of awakening such as you would have when the salt hits your tongue. So have salt in yourselves, Jesus says. Be at peace with one another. 
So as we walk through this life, let's remember that uh, though we all have our different vocations and and roles in our day-to-day lives, we are all called to be brothers and sisters of one another and of Jesus Christ. And we are all called to exercise that power and the the, uh, responsibility, really, of being Christians, of living into that baptismal covenant that we all either said it, said at our own baptisms that were said for us, or if we were baptized in another, in another tradition or under another prayer book, that we all say when we reaffirm our vows. So let's, let's remember that we are all members of a royal priesthood. We are all called to reach out to one another along that journey to life everlasting and healing, eternal healing, that ultimate healing in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you.